After I retired, I got very involved in, uh, well, actually for a long time, I've been working in the surf industry illustrating, and as a result of that, I go to these conventions and conferences and so forth, and there's a lot of knuckleheads. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm good at, I, rec I, I'm, I identify with knuckleheads. <laughs> and um, you, boy, you've got to be intentional. But at the same time, good. You've got to be good at what you do. I'm not there yet, but I'm working at it every day trying to get better. But what's fun is the doors open up. They just do. And, and, and you think about it from an intentional point of view. And I remember praying, I'd like to meet a few other artists in this particular show or that event uh, that also know the Lord. And I've had some guys come up to me and go, you're weird. What's with you? You know, and what's the deal? What's the story? And some names, if, if you were in the surf industry, you'd recognize the names. And I go, well, you know, it's not, you're religious, they would say. And I go, well, it's so much better, you know. And then stories happen. But I love the fact that you don't, uh, that, anyway, to answer specifically, you are odd. We, we are odd in that world. And that's okay with that. Mm -hmm. I, I am okay with that. Uh, I wish sometimes I was in the inner ring, you know. You know you're not. You're knocking on the door. Can I come in? But you're not. And so it's okay. That's okay. Anyway. So I think if you remember the first part of Daniel and what happened, they were selected because they were excellent in a lot of different things. A lot of others were killed or left back home. So they were brought into exile because they had gifts and abilities that stood out enough for the Babylonians to say, hey, we're going to take these guys there. So um, I love the oddity. Darren has a, a phrase, unblushing oddity, is the idea that it should just we shouldn't be ashamed of it, but we should actually own it almost as a badge because we are set apart. But that idea is it's a blend that what we watch next with Daniel is that he goes out and he uses all this. They were learned in multiple strategies. So it wasn't just one thing that they were good in astronomy or something like that. It was all this stuff that they knew, including the languages of the culture they were in. And it says that. It talks about the languages. So they knew that culture really well. And in that process, there's a, that, that assignment to us is that we have to take and actually hone our skills. We have to work at it. We have to move it to a point of excellence. So we have something that, that stands out. And then we watch God do and pour additional gifts on top of that that makes them stand out. And I, I uh, lived in Seattle for a while and worked with a nonprofit up there, a Christian nonprofit that was right in the middle of this really progressive city. And so many times it was that ability to just simply be who we are as Christians that stood out brightly for a world that didn't have that so much. And that's an artistic city. There's a lot going on up there. But it was that ability to be different from everybody else that stood out. I actually sometimes think it's harder in the church than it is in the rest of the world. Mm. I, the only other thing I would add to is that by the time you get to the end of the narrative portions of Daniel, Darius is he's sad about Daniel being in the lion's den, even though that's the law. So what, what's happened there is that Daniel has endeared himself to a pagan king who doesn't really give a lick about his God. And in fact, it says Darius prays to the God of Daniel. So it's not Darius's God, it's Daniel's God. But there's, a, there's also something about us. We should care that our friends who don't love Jesus love us. You know, like we should be the kind of people that are lovable and, and that are civil and kind and generous because... That is a step towards them trusting our God before he's their God. Does that make sense? You know, I mean, we, I know some of that semantics, but um, I like the fact that at the end of Acts 2, when it talks about uh, the early church, it says they were growing in favor with God and man, right? So there's this sense, too, in, in that the beauty of their sharing a table and of worshiping together and of sharing their possessions that they were endearing themselves to their community. And I think that endearment is something sometimes Christians miss because we think like, we have the truth and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. And it's like, well, you can, man, that pendulum swings too far and you've lost the bridge to a relationship with your neighbors, you know? So that endearing thing's important too. Great, thank you. Yes, Cassia. Well, my kids can walk on the rugs that I make. Do you have something, Brian? 
Uh, for our family, we have six kids, and uh, what I love is my wife um, beautifully leads in that, you know, where so after school the kids are doing homework, but uh, she'll be practicing violin, you know, and, and uh, painting, and the kids will see that and will pick it up. I used to play in this uh, marching band down in Long Beach back in the day, and they just had a bunch of old instruments, so I bring home a baritone, a berry sax, a flute, and my kids are like, you know, playing trombone out in the forest and all that, trying to be... Uh, yeah, realizing that as image bearers of God, we can create and make music and hopefully use it for praise. You know, when I read through the Psalms and I see that, I, I think it's rad that our kids are out marching around playing, playing instruments and hopefully for the glory of God. But I, I want to commend my wife, you know, publicly who leads our family in that, that art is beautiful, it's good, and we get to create as Lord's uh, created and we get to, uh, to show his image in that. I'm just, Rob just made a good uh, comment. This is being recorded, so I'm just going to repeat this question, Cassia, uh, if I'm incorrect. Basically, the question is, how do you use your art to serve your family? Is that the basic gist of what you said? Yeah, and I'd, I would, I'd love to say, well, Brian has really been inspiration to me um, as an artist. I, I sort of feel like that's a part of my life that's been asleep for a long time. I have, we have six kids. The oldest is 19. This is the first year that they've all been in school all day, so I've always had somebody little at home and I this is the first year I have a lot more time um, that I can kind of choose what to do with it but with Brian with his films that he's made um, the general or main organization that he works for most of what he's doing um, is helping just the idea of generosity um, gospel generosity and I could talk a ton about that but his work and that has really for our family like changed the way that we have seen um, how we be generous as Christians and ideas of tithing and giving um, and going far beyond, oh, it's a duty to give, but going beyond that to our God is an extravagant giver. And let's look at all the ways that he does that and his films really do that. And so that's really changed, I think, the, um, the identity of our family. Um, we've really encouraged our kids, like we don't, how, how do we give as Christians? in light of who God is and what he's given to us. And I really feel like there's just been this huge joy in generosity that's really been awoken and growing in us. So I've, that's one way that his art in particular, um, and then his generosity to me in time and really encouraging me to do some things that I haven't, I haven't really even believed in myself that I could do, and he really believes in me. So I love that. And our kids, our daughter, at school, she's in kindergarten. She says, I want to be an artist like my mom. I don't, I haven't really even called myself an artist until the past few years. So, um, yeah. Great. Lisa. Um, with writing, I write memoir style and mostly on my blog, which means I'm using my children as fodder for a lot of the stories that I tell. Uh, but it has mattered to me even since they were little that I write about them with dignity, even when I'm telling funny stories about them being ridiculous toddlers or whatever it was, because I don't want them to grow up and look back at things that I've written and feel shamed or embarrassed by things that I've said about them. And so that has been part of the challenge for me when I tell stories is to be honest in that storytelling and yet still treat my children or, or Todd, my husband, when I write about him with, with dignity that the stories can be amusing and true but um, never, never ever shameful. And um, we incorporate, none of my kids like to write in the same way that I do but some of them to greater extents than others and so I'll sometimes have them do these like writing challenges with me and I don't know if they feel that I'm serving them when I make them do that with me but um, those often turn into into really like fun exercises when we when we go around and write something together and uh, I was inspired in my writing in large part by my father and uh, he self-published a couple of books that have to do with theology and so um, sometimes at the dinner table Todd and I will read um, passages from one of the books my dad wrote to our children and so they're seeing the way writing can be used um, to honor the Lord. They know the kind of writing I do, but they get to see the kind of writing that my dad did. And um, so just demonstrating to them, I don't, I don't know in, if every one of those ways is actually serving them, but it's um, developing in them a, an appreciation for the art as well as how it can be used to serve the Lord. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah. Elisa, who is your dad? His name is Dale Kiefer, K-I-E-F-E-R. And the books were self-published, but they're on Amazon. 
Anyone else have any questions before I head into the boxed ones? All right. If you think of any along the way, don't be shy to raise your hand or just blurt it out. <coughs> All right, let's start with this one. Much like Michael with her story of Norm, who or what did God use to awaken each of you to each of your creative arts and giftings? Yeah, or whoever wants to. Sure. You want to start, Jerry? Okay. I'm not creative, so it has yet to be awakened. <laughs> but, but, um, I was a PE major in college. I went to college with no academic interest whatsoever, except to stay eligible. I didn't know how to spell it, but it meant everything to me. And I became a Christian at the beginning of my freshman year. And I read through the Bible that year. And my friends are, um, I'm concerned. I want them to know Jesus. So I'm sharing with them. They're asking me questions. And I'm trying to dig for answers. So I'm waking up a little bit academically. But there was a philosophy professor at our college. There were only three Christian professors that I could identify at my college. And one of them required some C.S. Lewis books. So I, I started taking his classes. And I ended up. With not, not with a minor in philosophy, I missed one Eastern religion class, but I took every class this professor offered. And he was the first person. I, I got my first D in third grade, and nobody got upset. They were surprised I did that well. So, so that was kind of the trajectory of my academic life. And, and this professor spoke into my life and said, I think you have a mind. And it just takes one person to speak into your life. And, and that changed everything. His name, I, what's honor him? His name was Michael Pretorius. And I, I have his picture up on my uh, wall in my home. Well, you guys already, already know that art was kind of inspired by Norm, but um, for poetry, it was actually inspired by a third grade teacher. I was failing school and failing to that point, and he caught me cheating on a test um, because uh, my mom told me if I brought up my grades, she'd get me acid-washed jeans that were guests with the zippers on the sides. <laughs> and I knew I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do it authentically, so I cheated on a spelling test. And so um, he wanted to engage um, my mind, so he, you know, he gave me supercalifragilisticexpialidocious to spell, and I that activated something in me and I was able to do that and then he noticed that I liked words so he encouraged me to write poetry. Um, so that from then on I, I never failed any uh, class ever, ever again and I actually it turned my brain to loving school um, and loving learning. Um, and then a side note, there's actually another person on this stage that inspired me to sing again which is Dom. Um, he was the worship pastor at the Well Community Church and we were only there for like a smidgen of time and our paths over crossed and I had kind of given up on the idea of, of singing and music and I, I just didn't, I felt really insecure about singing and Dom was like, just come try out and if, if you aren't good, I'll tell you what you need to work on and, and so it, he took that pressure off of it and I went and he was like, you can, you could do this and it, from then on, I know, let's go do this and from then I've, I've gotten to serve just singing some harmonies, which is so fun. I think a couple people, definitely Brian, in the last um, few years, 10 years, well, eight years, like if he's been married eight years, um, has really just kind of helped wake that up in me and really encouraged me. He tells me all the time, I believe in you. And I, I've not really had anyone, I mean, I've had lots of people act that way with me, but to have him say, I believe in you, I. I don't, never really had anyone say that before, so that's been really beautiful. And then I think um, early on in high school, I I took art classes and just loved them. And my teacher's name was Miss Disney, so that's pretty <laughs> pretty great. Um, and I, I wouldn't say I had any particular connection to her, but I think just that was a really great foundation. And then um, in my young young married, when I had young kids, there was a, uh, some friends at church. Um, I didn't even realize how amazing this woman was until years later after she passed away, but. Uh, her name was Verna Smith, and she was just kind of a 
I thought she was kind of a grandma. I knew she was an artist, but she was an amazing mural painter, um, painted all these amazing murals in L.A. Um, I didn't really realize at the time. But she would invite people over. She would um, invite me over and say, you should, we should come do art. And I didn't really – I liked art. Um, I just – I felt like I did some years in college. I was just a mediocre artist. So, you know, why – I'm just mediocre, so why would I do anything? But she really um, – in a time when I really didn't have any time, I had little kids and being creative was just not something that I could really put my mind to. Um, she she would invite me over and I only maybe went three or four times and we'd, she'd pull out watercolors and showed me her studio and we made paper one time and just different things. But she would introduce me to other people. Oh, Leah, she's an artist. And so that was a really, that was really powerful. Like something she saw in me that I didn't want to even call about myself. So that was really good. Uh, well, I already mentioned my dad, and I, I grew up in a home that really valued reading and writing, and so my parents both, uh, from an early age, I love to read and I love to write. I had a teacher in sixth grade named Mrs. Denny. We had just moved to Arizona from Illinois, and I was having trouble fitting in that year, but she really kind of took me under her wing and noticed that I liked to write and that I was a good writer, and she kind of encouraged me towards a few different writing contests that I actually won. I won several little elementary school writing contest that year. And so definitely that was a year where I realized, oh, this is something that I can do. And uh, as an adult, Todd has been um, a huge, I, I will think of an idea, he's a make it happen kind of person. So when I started writing, he's like, well, let's get this blog going for you. And when I would tell stories about the kids, he was like, that needs to be a blog post. So um, he has been a big encourager of that too. Uh, definitely my parents. So. My mom named me my name because she thought it would look cool on an album cover. Or, or it would make a good pastor's name. And so it was fun to give her my first record, and it was fun to tell her I'm a pastor. Um, so she was a smart lady at 22 with kids. But So that's what I was named, and, and living to that namesake, our names were, like, significant. So child of God, last name means messenger of good news. So there's a lot of pressure, you know. Um, but it was, a, it was a home that just fostered maybe kind of an experience that's not lived out today is there was music in the house that everyone collectively heard instead of in iPods and, you know, or AirPods. But so there's just records on in all the time. And my dad was a musician, so there was always instruments in the house um, w with free reign to pick up anything. And there was nothing like off limits as a kid. And there'd be musicians in our garage making music. And so there's early recordings of me and my sister like, kids have rights, like singing on these songs, you know? <laughs> and <clears throat> so it was super like artsy, bohemian, downtown San Diego home in this little Italy uh, confinement. And, and so that was just fostered the whole time. And then I was a theater kid and that was encouraged. And there was often times that furniture would be missing in the living rooms and there'd be stacks of amps and drums. And our parents would walk in and be like, this is awesome, you know? And, I, my mom flooded the house twice just listening to me playing music. She'd, she'd turn her bath on and listen to new songs that I would write. And then all of a sudden, we'd see a waterfall go down the stairs. <laughs> and so that was just our house. So they really fostered that and encouraged that. Um, and then in high school, I, had a, I was in a, a school of creative and performing arts. And so Dr. Luzak, he was a, a band teacher, guitar teacher. And you know, I played from the first day. And he's like, I don't have anything to teach you, but just go do whatever you want to do. And that was the best gift ever. And he played in a band called Iron Butterfly, if anybody remembers Inagata DeVita. Um, so he was just this guy that just loved me and eventually gave me a job as a teacher in public school as an 18-year-old kid because he saw something in me. So, yeah. I can sing it. My father, whose name, curiously, was Jack Daniels, was everybody's friend. And I loved that about him. Whenever we would go someplace, they would say, you're my best friend. And then I got jealous of that, asked him why he didn't name me Jack, and he said, it wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't like it, especially if you joined the Navy, because they were a Navy family. But he was a great cartoonist, and he taught me how to cartoon. So I grew up as a cartoonist. There was not a safe bit of paper in the house, and I would draw a cartoon on it. And then in uh, high school, I got interested in uh, architectural design and went ahead and studied that. And then using that, I was able to pay my way through college as designing houses, which was an incredible thing to do, meeting families who, who, 
whose husband wanted a garage and whose wife wanted an incredible kitchen. And I would say to him, let her have her kitchen, you'll get your garage. <laughs> you know, because you'd be like, well, our kitchen's too big. Anyway, make a long story short, in college I met a history professor named Carl Zimmerman, and he was an oil painter. And we have several of his paintings in our home. And he would teach history, but always show how the art was part of that timeline. So I was finding out about artists, I had no idea. I was never studied art. My mom was a classical pianist and a classical singer. She could sing opera, so I grew up with that love, but art was kind of, I didn't know much. Well, anyway, he, I said, I wanna learn how to paint. So I saw him, watched him paint. I bought oil paints, destroyed several canvases by mud. It just turns into mud. Until I met a guy through the surf industry named Ken Oster out of Laguna Beach, and he said, you're doing it all wrong. Do it this way, and he taught me how to work the paint. And he was so encouraging and rough. He was willing to say, that's terrible. Let's do it again. So, but I, and he passed, and he passed away a few years ago, but he became a believer before he died. And I remember being able to share the gospel with him long before he died, uh, when he was still kind of a pagan. And, uh, uh, and he was interested in it, you know, and uh, because he was living with a woman, and I said, you know, I've got a license, I can marry you too, and uh, you should get married, and Ken was like, but he kind of was interested in that because it was brought up element of faith, and then that, the way those dovetail is amazing, when Michael's, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm going long, Michael opened the seminar with, uh, in the beginning, and I could see how this whole weekend was going to, the tapestry was weaving together of how in the beginning God created. Oh, look at this. It's pretty fun, huh? So it was several people, but it started with dad, started with my pop. Thanks for sharing. Uh, for me, the earliest, earliest uh, artistic influence uh, on me as a creator, I'd say is David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff of, you know, Baywatch fame and kit. And the reason I say that is, uh, so my dad worked at Disney. He was in security. And uh, they did this special, it's on YouTube, it's like the 30th anniversary, but what they do is they would close Disneyland early and they needed like a free crowd. So basically they would allow the kids to come into Disney and they would feed us like, you know, give us a Coke and a Snickers. And um, I'm this kid standing in a corner clapping, looking up at David Hasselhoff, his kit would drive out. And I think he's saying, let the good times roll. I was in these videos too with Donna Summers and uh, I think Alabama, some pretty rad bands back in the day. But I remember seeing uh, the crowd, the lights, the camera, and realizing, wow, this is pretty cool. I like this music. But also they have the ability to influence people. And seeing that as a young kid was was pretty incredible. And I thought David Hasselhoff was pretty rad with Kit. Um, that's that's like the early influence. Um, and not one for flattery, but I, I just think of, of growing up here and hearing about Hume as uh, the impact on me as a creator and an artist. And uh, uh, sitting here between uh, friends like Norm Daniels and um, Darren and, and Jeff and and these creators, but knowing that Hume was also a place where churches would look to for creative input and to see where our churches were influenced from. And I'm excited about even this here to know that our kids are growing up in this community and what they're gonna do is they go out and get to create and share the gospel. And to also see the church is not like second class in terms of how we use the arts, how we use film and media to present uh, the gospel to the world and to create uh, beautiful music and art for, for people to enjoy. So. David Hasselhoff. I mean, how do you follow Hasselhoff? It's kind of like you sort of set the bar too weird. Um, so, I, you know, it's interesting. Like, my family is not particularly creative. We were, like, I grew up in this super ultra-conservative, like, fundamental Baptist household. But I've always been, from the time I was really little, just a kid who was an outside-of-the-box thinker. So lots of questions to the point where, like, my, my, there are stories of my grandmother asking my mom, like, when does this kid shut up? Like, he talks too much. But because I just... I. I just have always looked at things, and I want to look at things from a different angle. And so over time, uh, the combination of being an outside-of-the-box thinker and being an asthmatic uh, really helped me because I, I was inclined to a more sedentary lifestyle. So one good way to get out of PE was to be in the marching band. You know, So you could get into music, or you could get into theater, or you could get into art, and then you didn't have to carry an inhaler with you all the time. And so um, over time, like I, I kind of feel like all of the creative things I've had the opportunity to do I've just kind of fallen into, but they, they're outlets for me to think my thoughts in a way that I, you know, like I just get room to do. So I've had influential 
teachers and leaders and friends over the time, but I, to me it just feels more like I've always just needed a place and still do. I just kind of need a place to like get my thoughts out in a way that like um, allows me to untangle them in some ways, and art has always been a way to do that, various forms of art. And I'm kind of, I, I'm not actually even really concerned about about being a master of any one particular craft as much as I'm kind of always on the look for like another new way to express the things that are in my head. And so that's why, you know, I can pick up rug hooking for a while and do it, but then I might go back to painting or I'll write a couple songs or I'll, you know, I mean, it's like, I just, I kind of like to mess with all of that because it's, I'm not, I'm not great in any of those things, but all of them provide me with an outlet for expressing what's going on in my guts, you know, which I've needed from the time I was little, so. And also Hasselhoff. <laughs> Well, mine would definitely be Jesus. Uh, just, uh, I was just like, the whole time I'm praying, please don't say it, please don't say it, leave it for me. You know, it's like one focused mind. Um, he was on the lake, I was on the path. He was, uh, yeah, one set of footprints. <laughs> it just gets better. Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, so I would say my, I was thinking about it as it, it was going. Uh, my mom, though, she never called me an artist or she believed in me, that kind of thing, did the thing that moms do so well. But I, I'm a writer. And so in that process, what she did with me was she introduced me to good writing and put those voices in my head early on. And I have this from the time I was little, she would take me to a library and just turn me loose and just go walk up and down the aisles and pull books off and just peer in them and find the sections that you love. And so she did that to me when I was young. We had a huge library at home and she would go up whenever I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm bored or I need something to read. She would go up and she would grab a volume off the shelf. She would pull it open. She would start to talk about a, a section of the book or a little bit of the plot line and she would go, no, not that one. And she would put it back. And then she would pull another one off and go, yeah, this one's really good. You would really love this, but no, not that one. Let's do, let's do this. And so she introduced me to Michener and Hemingway and Steinbeck. And she was just passing this stuff off like a drug dealer and just giving it to me. And then, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, T.S. Lewis um, screw tape letters. And I was dealing with some of my life, and she handed me the screw tape letters. But those voices are still in my head to this day, that when I write, I'm terrible at grammar and all the rules of writing. Um, I loved Elisa's seminar yesterday because it was like, I don't know this stuff. <laughs> this is really good. But I have voices in my head that guide me. And so though my mom never said, you're going to be a writer, you're wonderful, she helped me in a lot of ways. The person that inspires me is my wife. She continues to believe in me. Even when I was asked to come do this conference, I was like, I don't belong here. I don't belong on this stage. And my wife was like, yes, you do. Go. You know, that kind of a thing. So I think we need those voices, even if there was somebody when we were young. My mom passed away young. And so I love it that that voice still speaks from the, the past. But I need somebody today that believes in me that says, no, get back in the ring. Keep, keep going on this. So that's it. And, and Jesus. Yeah, Jerry. <laughs> so what you heard then should say to you, there are people in your life who you could speak into. There are people you get to encourage. There's a generation coming after you. And notice people and call them out and say, boy, I saw that. This is really wonderful. And one day... Um, they'll be sitting on this stage and they'll mention your name. Yeah, yeah. thank you. I was going to mention something similar. And, and I think a common theme, I heard a lot of like when I was in third grade or when I was young. And so look for people in general, but also like look for the kids, whether they're your own kids or in the neighborhood or in your church. And not to puff them up. I mean, there's going to be times when you're going to have to say, like, that's a mess, and let's start again. But to come alongside them and, and look for it, find it in them, and say, this is what, this is how I see the image of God in you, and to help cultivate that. Who did it for you, Emily? There have been a number of people, and actually I can name three, even more in this room, but I will name three right now. One is my mom, Paula. She's right there. My mom is a very practical, down-to-earth orderly person, and I am not. And she allowed me 
to paint stuff in whatever I wanted to in my room. She said, just go for it. So I like painted this giant carrot above my bed. It meant nothing <laughs> except that I just wanted to paint a carrot. And she said, oh, we can paint over it someday. And so I just love that in her. Uh, my friend Anna Laura, who's sitting right next to her, is really good at asking good questions. And um, this is for another time, but there was one question that she asked me a number of years ago that actually has like circled back to today. And so I'm grateful for that. And then another one is Jen Schuler, And she would say that she's not artistic and we have this argument all the time. Um, but she continually encourages me um, to, to keep working. So yeah, that's just a handful of people. Okay, um, Darren, I believe this is addressed to you because you're a pastor. What a ripoff. <laughs> How do I help bring the arts to my church without seeming like I have an agenda? I love my pastor, but he doesn't seem to appreciate the arts. Yeah, that's actually, I, that's a great question. Um, it's really funny. When I talk about art at church, I will inevitably have even guys on my elder board that will be like, uh, when you start talking about art, I don't, I don't, that doesn't matter to me. I don't know anything about that. So I, like, it's hard for me to care about it, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. Sometimes you have to reorient people because you're like, no, it, like even the thing I said earlier about if you're a great uh, if you're a great, uh, you know, financial advisor and you make great, you know, spreadsheets, that there's art to that and it's reflective of the creative nature of God. So s when it comes to the church, if you've got leadership that, um, if you've got leadership that maybe is hesitant or kind of doesn't catch your vision, I will tell you that that the the approach that works best, in my experience, is the one that says, I have an idea. Can I have a little bit of room to run with this? The thing that's hard is when somebody comes and says, you know what we don't do in this church? Art. Mm -hmm. And the art we do do stinks. So, you know, like, if you, if you come with criticism, the pastor's immediately going to be like, you know what? I hear, I'm hearing this every day on different variety of things. And so this goes into the category of you don't like something, just like everybody else doesn't like something, and I got I to gotta keep my head above all of people's criticisms. But if you come and say, like, I'm a painter, or I'm a singer, or I have this idea for a mural, or I'd like to do this thing in our, in our lobby that would welcome our guests, or like if you've got ideas for ways to incorporate beauty into the ministry of your church, the way to come to that is not to criticize what, what currently exists, but to say, I have an idea, can I be given a little bit of room to chase it and see if you like it, see if it makes a difference, see if there's, you know, I, I don't, if I could get... 200 bucks, if you've got it in the budget, that's great. If you can't, I'll raise it with my friends and I. I want to build a team, and we're going to create this art ministry. Like, that sort of stuff, like, I'm going to get out of people's way all day long. So if somebody comes and says, I have an idea. Can I chase it? Here's the impact. This is my dream. Can the church help me with this little thing here and there? I will help facilitate those things because it's, it's great. I mean, Ephesians says that part of my job as a pastor is to equip the saints for works of ministry, right? So if you come and say, I got a ministry idea, like, it's my job to help you do that, right? And it's your pastor's job to do that. Now, whether he understands music or, uh, you know, whether the leadership of your church loves the same kinds of art that you like isn't really even as important. Hopefully, they recognize the value of breadth, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, and the beauty of the body of Christ and its diversity, and they'll get out of your way to let you try a thing. But then you also, on the back end of it, have to be open to adjustment. So the thing you make might not turn out the way you thought, or it might be, uh, it might be a fire hazard, right? And so all of a sudden, the the operations people are like, if we put that in the lobby, people will die, you know. And so then, you, like, you have to be willing to go. Okay, we're going to move this art piece to the uh, to the gym, or we're moving it to other places. Like, be flexible. And build teams. Like, that's the biggest thing. Build a team. There's other people, likely, no matter what size church you're in, there's other people who care about the same things you do. So build a team and chase a thing and just make sure you do it under the umbrella of the overarching ministry headed towards the same goals. Um, but I think, I think the, the one thing that sort of crushes our spirits is when we come in and we go, man, I just feel like the music ministry right now is really flat, and can I do this? And it's like, oh, this is, it goes into the category of criticism as opposed to, like, vision. So come to your leadership of your church with vision, and I bet, I bet they're not going to block you, you know? So that's kind of the way to go. It's always good to remember that the first two people mentioned as being filled with the Holy Spirit in Scripture was Belzeal and Oholiab, the two artists who did creative work for the tabernacle in the wilderness. And if anybody says their church doesn't have room, they're saying, we don't have room for the Holy Spirit to move people the way he first did. 
it's kind of goofy. Yeah, I would, I'll, I'll add something to that in the sense that I get to go to Darren's church. So I get to watch him as a senior pastor do this. And I would say there's an underlying thing there that stops and says, there's something in each of you that is a gift that we're all made better if we draw it out. And so he will encourage us as staff to find those things in the congregation. And it, like he said, if it's working a spreadsheet, I have a meeting later this week with people that are really good with finances, and, and they're the best at that. Well, find those people in your church, just like Jerry said, notice them and give them an opportunity to do it. So just because he wouldn't say it, our church has these huge murals. They're like 30 foot by 10 foot tall, 30 foot wide, that are just given to the artists in our church that they can paint and do their art right on the outside of the church building. Literally Friday, I think we were both bummed, Friday was a storytelling session in our coffee shop where it's just bringing people that we know are storytellers that want to tell stories and everybody gathering around and they're just telling stories, not spiritual ones with a little bow on it, but just stories of their life, stories that they know and going that route. And we could go on and on about the things that are inviting people that are good at something, even if it's a strange offhand thing, but notice who they are and find ways to bring them up on stage and minister to everybody else with that art. Great. Okay, I think we have time for about one more. Oh, it's hard to choose, but I'm just going to go with this one. It's sort of a question. It's for you, Jerry. Can you share the Martha Graham story? Martha Graham? I meant to say this last night and forgot. Uh, we don't, there's, there's so much we don't know. We're all pea brains, really. And if we start making judgments about things we don't know, we deceive ourselves and we lose credit with those around us. There's an objective world. Darren talked about it the first night. In the beginning, God created. It's there. He made us in his own image. We're thinkers. We can think about these things. But to get our thoughts up to speed with the thing itself is what's important. And it's okay to say, that, that painting really moved me, and I don't know why. But I'm not going to leave a stone unturned until I could find out how I might express that in a way that somebody else might begin to see, and maybe even in, in, up in conversation with others so that we could begin to see it together and, and go deeper. Okay, so just with that kind of humility, objectivity requires a degree of humility. So there's this guy named Nigel Goodwin, and we used to speak every year at an arts conference for many years up, up in, uh, uh, you would know, um, Jeff, it was up in Orcas Island in the San Juans up by Seattle. And Nigel was a, was a very well-known English stage actor. And he, he, he was a brilliant guy, and he was invited to Martha Graham, the great dancer and choreographer's 80th birthday. And he waited in line to uh, greet her. And when it was his turn, he handed her a rose. And he said, Martha, thank you for giving the world your gift of dance. And she said, darling, dance was the first of the arts. Well, he could have immediately reacted to that. And said, so what do you mean? God created in the theater of the universe. He's an actor. But instead, when she said, art is the first of the arts, he said to her, you know something. And she said, the spirit of God was moving across the waters. Now that is worth the price of admission. And sometimes we miss out because we rush to the judgment before we really know what's going on around us. And so I think that's a good story. Thank you so much. Um, you guys can go ahead and, I mean, you're welcome to stay up on the stage if you want, but in the arts industry, do you need to have a credential or a piece of paper that says you've arrived? I'm not an artist. I'm an academic. And in the academic world, yes, you need a paper. But at Wheaton College several years ago, somebody was filling out a report about me that I wasn't doing certain work and I got fired and it was dark. I went down to see if I could get a job mowing lawns on campus so that my kids would still get the ed benefit. I finally got worked out what this guy had been doing and I got rehired with a $7,000 raise. I should do this with more frequency. <laughs> but the thing was, when I was rehired, I was basically told I would be an assistant professor for the rest of my life. 
assistant professor is the lowest thing on the earth. Usually you think whale pucky is the lowest thing on the earth. But if you go down there at the bathosphere and lift up the whale pucky, right underneath it is an assistant professor. And so there I was, stuck in an area. So what do you do? No hope of promotion. And I just said, well, I really like the academic life. I kept teaching, and I kept writing, and I kept reading papers at academic meetings because I knew that was my trade, just like you keep turning washers and stuff like that. So, so it ended up, they said, wow, you've published more than anybody else in your department. You should be an associate professor. Well, that's just on top of the whale pucky. And then I just kept doing my work, and they came to me and said, you need to be a full professor. And I made a full professor about 10 years ago. And so the, the deal is you just keep doing your work. And even if you don't have the paper, you know, or eventually maybe you get the paper, I got the papers and all that stuff. But the deal is you just keep doing the work you enjoy and watch the doors that God will open up for you. Now, if you say my goal is to do that and you say I need these benchmarks on the way to get that, then do those benchmarks. Move in that direction but keep doing your work well. I, I do have a thought because um, some of the trades of art don't need necessarily credential, but they do need a certain level of mastery, and you know that as a plumber. Like if I were to go in and plumb a house, it would be a hot mess. Um, so there's a level of training, and I will say that I do have a degree in art, but what that did is I'm not disciplined enough to, like when I was in school, I drew, and some of you know I told this, that I drew my hands and feet every day for six weeks. I would not have done that on my own. Um, I needed the accountability of a professor saying, I'm gonna grade you on this. So in, in, if you are a self-motivated person and you have that curiosity in you to, to be obsessive about something, then, I would say no, but if you don't, if you're like me and you're fickle and you need some accountability or you, you're like a high, you, like a real procrastinator, I'm a real procrastinator, wait till the very, very last minute. I need that accountability in order to hone my craft. I, I did some formal schooling, but I never got a degree. And um, I, I feel like I have learned more in the past few years of my life about things than I ever did in any school setting. And I never really enjoyed school. I didn't like sitting in a classroom. Um, I thought I didn't like learning. I did fine, I did good in school, but I just thought, oh, I don't like learning. I'm glad I never have to do that again. But um, I think the internet is an amazing, amazing thing. I've been taking classes that aren't, um, I'm not really paying much for them, but things like Skillshare and I mean YouTube, there's so much you can learn just on your own. So I think. Like you said, like for me, I, I do need a motivation of, I'm just kind of lazy, so I, for me, it's like helpful, I need to learn from someone, but there's ways that you can do that without, you know, spending thousands and thousands of dollars, although there are some areas that having a degree is necessary, but I think um, just encouraging your kids to learn and to be curious and answer those questions, like you have a question, like how do I do this, um, write down your questions and Find someone who knows the answers. And again, I, I know the internet is a crazy, there's things on there that aren't good, but I, I have learned so much just YouTubing or that I think, how would, I wouldn't know this answer. I'm learning to play violin and I'm doing online lessons. Like that, that wouldn't happen 10 years ago. So I, I just think there's a lot of resources that if you are curious and go and find those answers, they're there. I would say maybe just as a dad, because uh, I have a 16-year-old son, so we're sort of working with him of, like, what do you want to do and be? That's the worst question, because I don't know what I want to do or be still. Um, and so I think what it's, it's trying to help my kid through a discovery process and also trying to give a bigger picture of what could be. So a degree is beautiful. I have two, uh, and the goal is doctorate at some point um, when my kids are out of my house and I have time for it. Um, but that's because I love learning. I would find myself, I think Darren, you did this too. I, I would go, I'm not going to go to that seminary, but they give all their book lists, and I'm just going to put that in my Amazon cart, and I'm going to read them. Um, wow, these musicians listen to these guys and these guys, so I'm just going to go buy those records um, and learn them. And, and the point of that is help them 
create like a voracious appetite for learning and discovery. You never know where art's gonna take you. What I'm doing now was never the trajectory that I thought I would be doing. So I'm thankful for education and experiences because then it, it created a more robust opportunity and playing field. But school honestly didn't make me better a musician at all. It, it, it went through like rote training, maybe similar to what you're saying, Michael. It's like, it, it opened up areas like, oh, you have to learn this German like piece that you would never listen to on the planet. And it's tempered music and you gotta put these weird strings and it's like, and you're speaking German and doing this weird stuff and it's like, what is this piece? I would never listen to it, but I learned how to play it. And now I have mastery over that piece. Will I ever play it again? Heck no. Would you ever wanna listen to it? No. But maybe a 1% of that informs something that I do. And so the, the discovery piece and then just drawing things out of there. With, with my son, what we're doing is going, oh, you're thinking firefighter? Well, let's get you, we know 10 firefighters. Go sit with them and talk to them. Talk to them about what they need to do in schooling. You're thinking art? Let's put you with 20 artists and they're all gonna have various experiences. But then you might go like, that's my medium, that's what I love. I actually wanna be a teacher. That's what I learned out of that. So what do you need to do? So this, this discovery and just love asking questions of your kids along the way. That, that's what I encourage you as a dad to do. My experience is interesting too. Like um, when I was filling out seminary, Dom kind of talked about this. When I was filling out seminary applications after I finished Bible college, I was on tour with a Christian band, sharing the gospel every night. We were doing 320 shows a year, traveling the country. And I, I handed a reference to a pastor in Bangor, Maine, and I said, hey, will you fill out a reference for me for seminary? And he goes, nope. And I was like, what? He goes, you're going to stop doing ministry in order to go learn how to do ministry? He's like, I won't be a part of that. He goes, you're in a van 10 hours a day sometimes. He's like, get the books. You love to read more than anybody I know. Get the books and read the books. Learn the theology while you're traveling from St. Louis to Kansas City or whatever. And I said, yeah, but if I, if I do that, I can learn all the stuff, but I won't have the piece of paper. Literally what I said. Like I, and if, like, I don't think I'm going to be in a band forever. And so like, when my music is no longer relevant and I want to do something else, I'm going to need that piece of paper. And he goes, do you think that if God wants you in a particular ministry position, that he, that he will not open the door if you don't have the piece of paper? And he's like, is that how small God is to you? And I was like, sheesh, all right, give me the application back, whatever, you know, it's fine. So, so I didn't go to seminary. I, tra I toured the country for five years, and I read tons and tons of books in the back of a Dodge van. Um, and interestingly, that never was an issue until I got into the role I'm in now. At the role I'm in now, there is zero reason why in this job they don't require me to have an MDiv or a doctorate. It's a school that's connected with... Biola and Talbot and all kinds of educational institutions. There is zero reason why this job doesn't require me to have that, but I don't have those. I don't have an MDiv or a, or a doctorate. And uh, when I was in the in the process of um, you know the candidating or whatever it was, there's a certain point where you get to a place and like the things moving down the field. And I finally said to them, like, you need to know because you haven't asked me. You haven't asked me, but I I do not have any. I have, I have a bachelor's degree in Christian ministry. It's like the most generic Christian degree you can have, right? Like, so just know if you, like. I can go back to my old job. And they said, weirdly, when we were praying before, before this whole candidating process started, uh, we decided that we didn't really feel like that was the biggest issue to us. And we felt like we needed to keep the door open for someone who might not have an MDiv but would know the stuff. Well, I, they just described me. Like, I know the stuff. I, I had to do a, like, a rigorous theological grilling by like four or five of their people that was like four hours long, you know. So it's not that they didn't care about my doctrine or my theology, but they didn't require me to have the piece of paper. Well, I think that's just, I think that's just God sort of paving the way in a unique way because of my unique situation and because he was calling me to a particular thing. So there's a piece of faith in it also. The last thing I'll say, and I know we're at the end of the time, is my oldest son, Jack, is 22. Um, he does not love school and did a, a semester in college and was like, I hate this. I don't want to take another U.S. history class. Like, I'm over it. But I want to be a welder. And he goes, I, I feel like I'll be able to stay busy and work the rest of my life and whatever. Can I just, please, 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 can I just get my, my trade certs in California? Can I get my welding certs? And I was like, yeah, of course, dude. If that's what you're passionate about, like, knock yourself out. So he gets all his California certs. And then two years ago, uh, we're up in Montana, and a custom home builder offers him a job. He packs up his stuff, moves to Montana. He starts his own business up there. He's, he's 22. He's already bought a house, started his own business, living in Montana, uh, going to church. He's got great friends. He's, like, living his life and making a decent living and supporting himself 
because he just is on a different track. And the stuff he knows how to do, he's like wired completely different than me. But I'm so proud of him because what, he, what he's done is chase the thing that makes sense for him. So I think his parents, and Dom's saying this too, that process of discovery is also, it's not going to be the same thing for each of your kids. It's not going to be the same thing for each of your peers and friends. There's not a universal answer to this question because we have different things we want and different things God is calling us to. The most important answer that you need to discover is like, what is God calling you to, you know? And what has God made you for? Like, how's he built you? How's he built your kids? They're built different than you, and they're going to be built to be used by God in different situations. So part of our, as a disciple maker in my home, part of my goal is to figure out how did God build my kids, and, and, and how do I empower them for that? It's that discovery thing again. But you're wanting to pay attention. I'm wanting to pay attention to what God's calling on my son's life is and help him know that and then also kind of lean into that as a dad and be like, yeah, God's called my kid to something that's totally foreign to me, but that's how God works and it's fine. So, yeah. Sorry, long no, answer. No, that was but, wonderful. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, thank you. Yes, Ernie. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to point out that I feel like almost every person up here has said that they aren't an artist, they're not creative, they're not where they want to be, they're not, they could keep growing, all that sort of stuff, and um, yet they're still sitting up here and putting themselves out there, and uh, I think we've all learned from each of them, and so I just wanted to encourage de them and us that we can all do that too, so, yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I would also, what is your name, sir? That the, yeah, Daniel. Um, I would also say, like, I love that you're an artistic plumber. I love, like, I think it's difficult for people if they're not, like, in the arts to see themselves as a creative person. And so the fact that you are being creative in what you're doing and you're doing it really well will also speak to your kids when they see you do your work with excellence and creativity and beauty, especially in the things like, I know I take my plumbing for, like I don't think about it every day. You know, like it's, it's kind of unseen a little bit and that you do it well is gonna really speak to people around you. So keep being an, an artistic plumber. I love that. <laughs>